Today's podcast is brought to you by Something Blue by Anita Kay, specializing in wedding and event photography. Visit her page on Facebook. For those in love, capture those memories with Something Blue by Anita Kay. This is Unbridled Enthusiasm Podcast with Mark Poulos. So fuck you and fuck your baby and fuck your wife. <laughs> Why fuck them all? So you have headphones. We're recording at a barbecue gas station. We're not pausing this to put a baby in there. So, uh, so you can just stop it right. You're half drunk and high oh, trying to read a map. Right, here we go. We're literally. We are on, <laughs> on the edge of the Grand Canyon. That's my whole job when I'm on the road is protecting my butt. Stoner. And the fat man. He says, man. You really need to turn your life around. Fuck you, Mark. Mark, pull up the fight. <laughs> Hello, folks, and welcome back to the Unbridled Enthusiasm Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Poulos, as always. I uh, decided to uh, record a podcast. Um, just recently had somebody kind of call and pick my brain about how the comedy business works and... Uh, kind of brought up some uh interesting memories and stories that I thought I'd uh <clears throat> that I'd bring to the podcast cuz what's funny is when I first started in comedy I took a class from a guy and then uh and then we kind of had a a graduation showcase things for our family and friends and I I did a really good job on there and the guy that I was working with he he asked me to come in the next night and actually do the professional show and uh it was such a different animal because i uh i had the night before so many family and friends in the crowd that you know just the mere fact of me being on stage trying to do a performance was excitement enough you know they were really supportive and everything you know it's kind (laughs) of it it would have been funny if they weren't, you know, <laughs> like they were really judgmental, like a normal comedy club crowd, like, oh, get off the stage, this is shit, <laughs> it's like, that's my dad, you know, I've seen it though, I've seen it a couple times, it's really funny, you know, because when we travel around and do these different comedy clubs and everything that uh, sometimes they have open mics and sometimes they're in the midst of some kind of summer contest or whatever where people on the open mic win spots in the next round and and they have to bring their family and friends to vote for them and i've seen it where like a comic brings a huge group of people and they don't laugh for them at all which is kind of hilarious (laughs) anyways um so I did the uh I did the real show which was the next night and it was horrible. Like I didn't the first show I I bombed so bad that I actually thought about not ever doing it again. And the uh the guy that invited me, the guy who taught the class, um such a nice guy. He said, "You know, why don't you stick around and do the late show? You know, it's a little bit more laid back. They have a few more drinks in them and and you can immediately do it again and hopefully feel a little better about your set. And, and the late show, it was like half the size of the crowd. And I did a better job and I felt better about my comedy or whatever. But what was funny was after that show, like 
um i was pretty jazzed up about comedy and i think i've said it before that it was like the first thing i ever did where i felt like um it's what i was supposed to be doing and like just the thought process of you know if you put in enough work into this business you'll start to see results and you'll start making a living at you know this interesting job where you travel and you tell jokes and they pay you money and you know you don't ever have to go back to a normal job ever again and and I know my older brother was jealous of that the whole time because I think in his head that's all he ever wanted and I don't know why both of us had this kind of thought process in our heads from a young age that uh you know we just didn't want to have to have a job that we punched into every Monday morning at you know 8 a.m and then left at five on the train to come home and it was just kind of odd because that's the exact job that my dad had you know he worked for Norwest Banks and then Wells Fargo Bank for 50 years 50 years and through that time he had like many different job titles he was you know international banking domestic banking uh he was in disaster planning for a while it was just a bunch of different things so you would think that we would see him and like the security of his job and everything and want something like that but like both of us were just like we have no interest in having some kind of job like that and I don't know what it was but god it just it interested me so much so I'm sitting there with a bunch of these comics and I'm like trying to pick their brain about like because I'm so naive at this point I have no idea how this comedy thing works so I'm like so how does it like how does it work do you just like drive around the country and like go into different bars and uh like theaters and just say hey i'm a comic can i do a show here tonight you know and you may you know people may laugh at that but it's like i've gotten those questions like millions of times from people after shows that are either interested in the business or they're comedians that are wanting to do this trying to figure out like how exactly it works and I'm not gonna lie it took me a while to figure the whole thing out and uh you know once you figure it out as the years go by I'm not gonna say that this business gets easier um but it does get a tiny bit less stressful because 90% of the comedy business is building a reputation if you can build a reputation as someone that constantly goes out and delivers on what they promise, people start to relax about you, you know? They start to be able to depend on you, and your name starts coming up more and more with with people that uh, are putting shows on, you know? Somebody might say, we've got this Valentine's show next week at you know such and such bar we need a minneapolis comic he has to be clean and silly like who who do you think can fit that bill you know 
if you can build a reputation as that comic, your name's going to come up more often than not. And I think that's what the biggest part of it is, is uh, just having a reputation as someone that is professional and somebody that can, uh, that can handle the job. So be that as it may, um, there's kind of levels to this business. You know, there's certain bookers, because basically the way the, the company works is, you know, you have major companies um, like Funny Business and Heffron Talent and Comedy Productions and all these big companies that their entire job is to find and develop comedy rooms all over the country. So if you're able to get in with these people, all you have to do is make a phone call and hopefully they pick up the phone or send an email and hopefully they return your email because that's the biggest problem with a lot of these bigger companies is they have so many comedians and they only have a certain amount of rooms and they don't want to be sending the same guys over and over and over again. So they want fresh faces and they want people that you know, have uh, a ton of TV credits, and TV credits are just like Conan or Letterman or, or Jimmy Kimmel or some kind of stand-up on television. But basically what I wanted to cover in this podcast, because I think it is funny and uh, some great stories that go along with it, is, you know, outside of working for the big companies, working for the smaller companies. Um, there's a very small <clears throat> a very small group of comedians that have decided to go outside the box and uh, book their own comedy shows. And, you know, there's pluses and minuses to all of it. And uh, a couple years in a row... Um, I decided to give it a try because surprisingly I wasn't getting that much work out of the big companies. I wasn't, uh, really doing that much with my career. And, you know, at some point you got to start paying the bills and, you know, you can either go the one of two routes. A lot of comedians that, you know, they just don't want to do those long drives and those shitty gigs anymore. They decide to start cultivating their own rooms in the city that they live in you know it's like well I've got these few rooms that uh, I send comedians to and I get a certain amount of money for sending comedians there so so anyways I uh, I started to book my own comedy shows and I gotta tell you this business is not that hard I mean, it is hard in the sense that you're doing a lot of driving, you know, you're spending a lot of time writing and rewriting your material, and, you know, every night you got to be on, whether you're sick or whatever, but it's just like, compared to a normal job where people are in meetings and, you know, they're doing 40 hours a week and stuff, this job is is very simple, and it's very easy, and... uh you know, it's. I just feel blessed to have this small amount of talent where I can make people laugh 
that uh, people want to hire me to do comedy. So there was about a two-year stint there where things were going really bad. So I decided to start booking my own comedy shows. So I was kind of lost on how to do it. So I contacted this guy out of Minneapolis that uh, did a ton of his own comedy shows. And I kind of asked him how it all worked. And he actually had a spreadsheet of all these bars and places across the country um, that he had gathered together from a couple companies that had uh, gone out of business as far as booking comedians. (laughs) So... You know how solid that list was. But uh, so I had the spreadsheet and I just started making phone calls. And I can't tell you, man, I actually worked. uh, I should do a whole podcast on being a telemarketer because I worked as a telemarketer for like four years in three different places. I was a telemarketer at... uh, a newspaper I was a telemarketer at a gaming magazine and I was a telemarketer at a dating site like a dating service it was really weird I should do a whole podcast on that working at the dating service oh god anyways so I had done telemarketing I understood it but I was just like I hated doing it so I started making these phone calls. 90% of the time the phone numbers were disconnected or the company no longer existed. So I started kind of um, preempting the phone calls and I would do a Google search on the company just to make sure that the bar was still open and it existed. So I would find those and I would call those people. And you cannot imagine how hard it is to pitch a comedy show to a person that has never seen or done a comedy show. I mean, he told me that this was a list of people that showed interest in having a comedy show. I'd say like 2% of the list were like, oh yeah, I think we did one of those one time or some guy came in here and he told a bunch of dick jokes and people got mad so we fired him, you know. But it was interesting because I was trying to frame these uh, these independent shows that I was booking around a couple um, actual shows that I had booked for, like, smaller companies out west. So I'd have, like, whatever, like a Friday in Montana and a Saturday in Idaho, and then I was trying to find, like, gigs on Wednesdays and Thursdays and Sundays and stuff. And, I mean, obviously cold calling a bar and trying to do a comedy show is hard enough, but trying to get them to agree to do something they've never done before on a Wednesday or a Sunday is almost impossible. So what started happening is I had to start selling these shows for like almost no money because I was like, because it was either just do the Friday, Saturday shows and then be off Wednesday, Thursday, Sunday and like get your own hotel room or sleep in your car or try to pitch a really minimal show to these people so I could get a hotel room or maybe sell some t-shirts after the show or whatever. So there was times that I was selling these comedy shows to these bars. And the best part was I was traveling with another guy. I was traveling with Joe Cocazello, 
and we were doing the Sonar and the Fat Man tour. So I was trying to sell it enough that we could each get a little bit of money, a free hotel room, and then we could try to sell merchandise after it. So there was times. So just to give you a like a normal one night comedy show at like some bar or someplace, they would probably pay about four hundred dollars for that. The the headliner would get two hundred dollars, the guy opening the show would get a hundred dollars, and then the bar would send the company that sent the comedians there a hundred dollars. So that was basically like how the breakdown would go. And uh, since we weren't working with a booker, we didn't need to worry about that hundred dollars to mail off. So I was selling the shows for like a hundred and fifty bucks sometimes. One time I sold it for uh, for meals and a hotel room, and uh, and the first time that we did the tour and I sold it. Um, I I sent because the guy told me he goes, listen, if you're gonna book this stuff. He goes, you have to mail them a contract. He goes, you can't just go on their word. He goes, because nine times out of ten, it'll be like, you know, a couple days before the show's supposed to go on, and they realize that nobody's bought any tickets and nobody's coming, and they're just going to cancel it. He goes, so you need something for them to sign and send back so you can try to enforce it. He goes, even if they do cancel it, you know, it's going to be really hard for you to take them to court over that contract but he's like people are more apt to go through with it if if they know that they're they signed a contract for it or whatever so i made up this really minimal contract it just said like you know the the date and the time of the show and and that they weren't going to cancel within seven days or they'd have to pay the full money or whatever and i would send it out to them and they would send it back and uh so the first couple contracts i sent out because he showed me a copy of his contract and it had something in there about they needed a sound system and an area uh, with a light and all this kind of stuff. So I would send mine out and to these places that I'm selling the comedy show for a dinner in a hotel room and then it would come back and all that stuff would be scratched out and then next to it they would like write in, we don't have a sound system, we don't have any lights, um, tell us what to do. And I started realizing, like, you just don't think about it. Like, it's a, it's Joe's Bar in fucking Mandan, North Dakota. They don't have lights and a sound system. And just think about, like, your favorite, like, little corner bar that's got, like, a bar with ten bar stools and, like, maybe five or six tables out on the floor. And there's some dart boards and a pool table in the back and then you know some bathrooms and maybe a popcorn machine like these are the places that i'm calling (laughs) asking them to do a comedy show and i realize halfway through all these contracts coming back that like i'm going to have to bring my own sound system with because they don't have anything so i'm just like oh my god what have i done because i've got now at that point i had uh God, I can't, I think it was probably like 17 bars that had signed contracts that wanted to do shows on this tour. 
And a lot of them were like Tuesday shows and Sunday shows and Wednesday shows. And it was like exciting because we were going to have those days off anyway. So I'm like, oh my God, we're going to get to do all these shows. It's going to be so amazing (laughs) until we got out there. But I'll get to that in a sec. So I'm like, oh my God, I have to bring my own sound system with. What the fuck am I going to do? Like, I can't afford to buy a sound system, let alone fit it in my car. Because me and Joe were going to be on the road for like a month. So the car was full of shit. It was mostly full of merchandise because we needed to sell shirts to survive on the road. So uh, we decided to like just go gorilla. Like we bought a Radio Shack microphone for like 18 bucks. I bought uh, an old mic stand from a pawn shop for like $9. Um, And I had... Um, like a relatively large uh, Fender uh, amplifier, like for a guitar. And I was like, I wonder if this would work. So I plugged the microphone into it and like turned down all the reverb and the echo and everything and just turned the volume up and it worked perfectly. So I was like, oh shit, I think we got it. Tossed the amp, guitar stand, and the microphone in the car and we're we're on our way. So... I'm trying to remember what the first independent show was that we did. I feel like it was um it was like Rupert, Idaho. And we were doing that show on our way to do um I think it was Craig, Colorado or something. Anyways, we get to this first show, and we're all jazzed up. We're like, oh, my God, because, like, I mocked up some posters on my computer, and I printed them out and mailed them to them, and I mailed them this little sheet called How to Promote Your Comedy Show and all this stuff, and we were all jazzed up, like, oh, my God, man, this is this is, this is is where you make the money when you do it yourself. You know, we're self-starters, you know, and we walk in, and it's literally like a lady behind the bar and a guy eating popcorn and the show starts at eight and it's like seven thirty, <laughs> and the lady goes oh hey come on in she goes uh she goes i've been telling everybody but uh nobody seems real interested and uh <laughs> she goes it might just be us two i hope that's okay and joe's <laughs> face when he looked at me he was like what the fuck and i was like i don't know i've never done one of these before so we set the amplifier up we get everything set up for the show and then we just kind of sit there and bullshitted with the lady and then uh anyways so uh it gets to be close to showtime and there's like those same two people and i think two more people came in and joe's like are we gonna do this show and i'm like yeah, we have to do this show to get paid. So he's like, oh, my God. So he had to go up there and do a half an hour for, like, two people that were listening to him. The other two weren't even paying any attention. I went up, and I have to do an hour now in front of these people. So I did my best, but I don't think I got even close to an hour. And we got done. And and while I was on stage, Joe was so depressed about the show that he was just drinking like a fish. And... uh so the I think I sold that show for like 150 bucks plus a hotel room. 
so after the show we're just sitting there at the bar and and the lady hands me like i think it was like 60 bucks or something like that. it wasn't that bad I think she handed me a hundred instead of a hundred and fifty, and I said, "Oh, I thought it was a hundred and fifty and she said, "Well, I just I took out his bar tab out of the money, and uh I turned to Joe and I was like, "You drank fifty dollars of booze at this shitty bar while I was on stage, and he was like, "Yeah, I guess." <laughs> And I go, well, enjoy it, because that was your money for the show. And he's like, I don't fucking care. (laughs) So we move on to the next gig. And, you know, I think the funniest part about this whole, like, do-it-yourself comedy shows that we were doing was no matter how bad it got, no matter how shitty it got, every time that we pulled into a town where we had booked an independent show, I don't know why, but we had this, like, such excitement that, you know, not knowing, like, oh, my God, how, I don't know, how is it going to go, you know, this might be the one where the entire town shows up for the comedy show and we make so much money, you know, and uh, just every time it was shit, you know, we are just like, can it ever get good, so Craig even worse than the show before because we get there and this place is a restaurant like a restaurant where families come and eat dinner and we walk in and there's just like people eating dinner and it's like 7 30 and the show's at 8 and the guy was like really excited about having comedy but he was all like morose because he's like he goes you know this is this is my business here so i can't really tell these people to leave so he goes are you guys okay doing the show with these people here and he kind of pointed around and there was like a full table full of like 12 year olds that had just played like a softball game or something and he goes i can't i can't really tell them to leave he's like is this okay and Joe's face when he looked at me, he goes, what the fuck? And I go, I go, it's okay, we'll figure it out. So I told Joe, I said, uh, and, uh, and this one I had actually sold for a lot of money for some reason. Like I sold the show for like 300 and a hotel, or I think I sold it for 300, no hotel. So we had to get our own hotel room, but still, it was like one of the bigger paying gigs that we had booked and i told joe i was like listen you got to figure this out like we we have to do this show and uh so joe was amazing there were he just talked to the kids the whole time he was up there and then he had a joke contest with the with the kids and and they loved him he just he destroyed and i'm in the back of the room and i'm like the son of a bitch like he figured it out i was trying to still figure out what the hell i was going to do for an hour up there i muddled my way through i uh um i can't remember what i did but i talked to the kids and i did like the cleanest material that i could remember and anyways that one was just shitty but then you know because it's like when we go out west me and joe we do a lot of the same gigs so we know exactly how they're going to be we know exactly how the pine crest and idaho falls is going to go and we know exactly how winner's casino and winnemucca is going to go like we've done it so many times like we know it was just this like 
small sense of excitement that maybe one time we would hit one of these gigs and it would be amazing, you know. So we do the weekend shows and then we come around and we had on the Sunday uh, a gig booked in, where the heck was it? Um, Oh, uh, Gearing, Nebraska. And uh, we've done this gig like four times now and I've done it with two different comedians. It's like the first time we did it, it was pretty bad because we did it in October and it was in Nebraska and usually it's hit or miss at that time as far as the weather and they actually had a stage but it was outside in the back patio area and it was like 30 degrees outside not that many people showed up and it was pretty brutal but the people were really nice the hotel they got us was really nice so we were just like we were still bummed about the show but we were like whatever you know it ended up being okay um and we love those guys if you're ever in gearing nebraska stop by the union bar because they have some really good food and and they're great people so um so then i think we had monday off and then we were going to do a show on tuesday and and i think it was like campbell nebraska and this one was oh my god so i sold the show pretty cheap because it was tuesday and we really needed a gig and i didn't realize how small this town was so uh the lady books the show and then she calls me back and she said um is there any way that you guys could come in a little early and do like a preview show for my daughter's uh bridal shower or something like that like they were all getting together at the bar to like give her presents and have cake and whatever and they wanted us to come in and do like an abbreviated show for the bridal shower and she said she was going to throw in an extra like 50 bucks or 100 bucks or something we were like yeah we'll fucking do that and it was just ridiculous like we were like what are we doing here it's just like 10 ladies in a bar and we're trying to make them laugh and it was just horrible but the worst part about it was like that show was at like three o'clock and then the main show was supposed to be at eight o'clock so we came back at eight and like the same women were there but add on like an extra 10 people so we had to do the exact same thing but the lady was like well now it's the late show you guys can do whatever you want so we were like oh thank god and then uh it was you know it was cool it was fun those people were nice um but after that show it was just like such a depressing thing we were standing outside with the owner and uh you know joe and her kind of hit it off and they were laughing and joking whatever and joe's like uh you know make space on the calendar for us next year and she's like she goes yeah you guys can come back as much as you want but i won't be here next year and he was like what what are you talking about and I guess she had, like, stage four lung cancer or something. We're like, well, that's a nice end to the night. So I don't know if she's even still around, but if if she's not, she was a really nice lady and and uh, sad to see her go. But, uh, but that was the thing. It was like every time we did one of these do-it-yourself comedy shows, we'd come in with the amp and the mic stand and the microphone and set everything up. 
and sit and wait and hope for this like amazing explosion of people because i'm not gonna lie a couple times a couple times we hit it we did really well i know for me i've done like uh three or four do-it-yourself comedy shows up in warroad and the first one that i ever did up there i made like 1600 bucks because i called the lady that had the bar up there and she had no interest in a comedy show She's like, I don't think it'll work. I don't think I'll make enough money. And I told her, I said, listen, um, you don't have to do anything. Just let me set my stuff up in the back room. I'll make the tickets. I'll make the posters. I'll sell the tickets at the door. I'll do everything. I'm like, all you have to do is just, you know, reap, reap the benefits of a bunch of people in your establishment. And then she was like, oh, all right. Yeah, let's do that. So... I was selling like tickets for 10 bucks and I think like 115 people showed up and, uh, it was just me. I did like an hour and 10 minutes and then the show was over and everybody got up and left. So this lady called me like six months later and she was like, I think I want to do another comedy show. And I go, Oh, that's great. And she goes, but, uh, I didn't make that much money last time. And it, kind of looked like you made a ton of money and I was like oh yeah well and she goes well let's do it again but I want to split the door with you and I was like well if we're going to do that you're making all the posters the tickets and doing all the advertising and all that and she's like for sure and it was another huge success so it's like it happens but it's just like (laughs) so depressing when you get out on the road and and you're just so excited you're like you know this is gonna be big i can't wait and then you get in there and it's just shit you know because it's like i mean let's be honest these people don't know how to do a comedy show like they've never done a comedy show they uh, (laughs) i there was a i think one of the funniest ones was uh I was on the road with my friend Justin Smith. You've heard him on the podcast before, and I booked this gig in, uh, I think it was Ainsworth, Nebraska. And he came along for the ride, and it was like one of these ridiculous scenarios where it was just a bar, a small bar, and we set up our speaker and a microphone and everything in front of the pool table. And... I think it was like a Saturday show, I feel like, because the fo- the college football team had just got done playing, and they lost, and everybody was just uh, depressed. And Justin's a huge college football fan, and I feel like he was wearing something from like OU or something like that, and they were giving him a bunch of shit, and he's trying to do his act, and they're yelling at him. He's yelling at him back, and he gets finished. <laughs> and uh, we're driving to the next gig and i think it was like quiet in the car for a little bit and he just goes uh that was the worst gig i've ever had to do in my entire life and what was funny was uh when me and justin and my other friend kurt got together and we were doing the rudy's barbecue podcast it was just funny to hear that um the worst shows that they've ever done in their career both of them were opening for me you know 
and it wasn't anything I did, you know. It was just the circumstances, you know. That bar was just shit, and the show was horrible. And uh, with Kurt, it was one of those bars where like nobody was listening, and and uh, it just turned out to be a bad show. But I just feel bad that like both of them had the worst show of their careers opening for me. <laughs> But at least they got something in common. But uh, so, if you're a young comic out there, or just somebody that's interested in how the business works, that's you know usually how it works. You fight and fight and fight, and then you get to a point where people can depend on you. Then you get to a point where nobody's returning your phone calls. Then you get to a point where your calendar's all filled up and you're all excited. And then three months later, you realize. You got nothing booked after March, and you're shitting your pants. So you start booking your own gigs, and they all go bad. And, uh, you know, I think that's that's part of the excitement of being a stand-up comic is, like, every every time the, the calendar switches to the next year, it's all cleared again, and you have to work to fill that whole calendar again for the next year. And... Uh, some years it's easier than others. Sometimes you have to do some real shit gigs to pay the bills, and sometimes you get to do some amazing things. And uh, I think that's what's the great part of this business is you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. And uh, you just got to keep evolving and keep writing and keep moving forward because I think we've all seen those comics that come to the comedy club every year and you sit down and you can recite their whole act word for word because they haven't changed a bit of it. Thankfully, I think we're past that part of the business where people understand that there's so many great, amazing, talented comedians out there that you can't just write your 45-minute set and then sit back and be like, you know, I've completed it. I don't have to do anything anymore. No. you got to keep working, keep writing. You know, I got four comedy albums that are out there and currently working on recording comedy album number five. And that's just what you got to do. So I appreciate you guys listening to this podcast because I like doing it. Um, I like chatting about life and comedy and all that kind of stuff. And uh, just looking at the uh, the hits on the podcast, people are really interested in listening and that that makes me smile man so if you want to check it out uh the podcast is now on uh, stitcher and tuned in um you can get it at podbean or itunes um largedrunkman.com for my upcoming dates and uh yeah thanks again and tune in next time when we talk about who knows